It was 1954. Television was live. And Benji Stone landed the job of his dreams as a TV comedy writer. Alice, what are we seeing? Alan Swan's movies. It was the year Hollywood's greatest hero swashbuckled his way onto live TV and into Benji's life. He's blasted! Good God, it's wrenching! Hustle's dead. Swan better be at every rehearsal sober, or it's your neck. They've asked me to stay with you and help you over some of the rough spots. Like showing up. That's one. Another is not passing out. What sort of heroic idiot am I this time? A musketeer idiot. That's on the airplane. Very funny. Very good. I wrote that. Did you? Bravo, Stan. Bravo. What about the sport club? We'll be two for dinner. Oh, no, Mr. Swan. This is exactly the way it started last time. And, you know, uh, I'm, I'm supposed to watch you. Good. Watch this. Now, all we have to do is to get from here... There. I'm going down now. Hello. Hello, sir. We're here with the Read This, Watch That podcast. I'm Anthony. I'm Dale. What are we doing tonight? We are doing a great movie. Well, uh, maybe great movie. Certainly <laughs> fun fun movie, entertaining movie, and in a lot of ways, a really interesting movie. Um, my favorite year. Ah, uh, my favorite year, nineteen eighty-two, right? Yes, early eighties, long time ago. Um, I actually remember seeing this movie on video, not all that long after it had, you know, been in the theaters. I don't think I saw it in the theaters. I think I saw it um, on video. But in the mid-80s, mid to late-80s, I think that's when I first encountered it. Yeah, this stars, um, we got Peter O'Toole, Mark Lynn Baker, Joseph Bologna, um Lainey Kazan, a bunch of other people you'd recognize. 1982. Um I saw this on VHS probably right after it came out on VHS. My on Fridays, my father would swing by. He was friends with a guy who ran like one of the first video shops mm. to, to come out in 82, 83, 84. So sometimes on Friday afternoons after work, he'd swing by and he'd just grab three or four movies, bring them home. A lot of hits, a lot of misses. And this is one of <laughs> This was one of them, you know, it's it's funny that um, I remember a lot of them were those, you don't really see them today. They're kind of those light 80s, um, not really rom-coms, but to be romance, a little adventure, like every other mm-hmm. one star Joe Beth Williams. Yes. <laughs> um, fairly fun, but forgettable fair. But I never thought this one was forgettable. I I really liked it and you know, I think part of the reason was I just I just thought Peter O'Toole's portrayal of movie icon little past his prime, Alan Swan. Yes, yes. Well, one could argue that um Peter O'Toole was playing himself. <laughs> one may be able to argue that. 
<laughs> but this really is the story of uh, Mark Lynn Baker's character, Benji Steinberg, who goes by Benji Stone. He's the rookie writer on <laughs> the comedy Calvacade. And it is 1954. And what what's the, the opening line? Uh, television was live and comedy was king. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Or, or no, it was, was it, it was, I think it was something about the year. I think he said 1954 oh, yeah. is my, my favorite year or something, or something worse to that effect. But, but yes, essentially. But, and I think that's key. I mean, this movie, you could read it as levels of nostalgia kind of kicking in. And even as we're talking about it, given that it's, almost 40 years oh my goodness almost 40 years old yeah at this point is that even our talking about it has a certain nostalgic ring to it but it's someone reminiscing about 1954 um the golden age of television and um of course the main character at a certain level reminiscing about his experience with cinema from an earlier generation where actors like Alan Swan, um, not Alan Swan. Um, yeah, yeah, Alan Swan, um, were, uh, you know, like Errol Flynn swashbuckling their way around the world. Um, and that's actually kind of my, my, my big note on this is that it's just these waves of nostalgia. You could, you could kind of, kind of read it as, but, I didn't even grow up in that era and I found it nostalgic. Yeah. There was something it's a whitewashed um idealized version of a supposedly simpler innocent time. Yep. And if you if you understand that it's a bit whitewashed and I I mean that literally, I don't <laughs> think there's an African American in any scene anywhere maybe in the audience i'm not even sure about that yes in the audience there was one scene i remember there was one scene specifically <laughs> an audience shot of uh, of a black couple in the audience yeah. yeah so when you watch these things and they're kind of they're lighthearted they're charming uh you always have to remember in the back of your head that 1954 was not it maybe everyone's favorite year there was a lot of things going on that are completely ignored Absolutely, but, but it's escapism, and it is it is an homage to that. Not only the I mean, I, I'm not a television historian, but not only was it considered the golden age of television because it was live, it was also the pioneering days, really. Because mm. even though television actually started much earlier, the amount of people who had televisions was so small it was almost inconsequential. Right. They, they would show, I mean, people had TVs in the late 40s and they would, you know, a sh- it, something might be on for like an hour in the morning, an hour in the afternoon, an hour at night. It wasn't this constant around the clock or even even 6, 6 a.m. to midnight uh, type of thing. It was very sporadic, a lot of local shows, um, farm reports and, and things of that sort. But by 54, people started to get televisions in their homes and um, supposedly, I have no reason to doubt it, this, you know, the comedy Calvacade, which is the show um, of Stan King Kaiser, is you know, loosely based on Sid Caesar's Your Show of Shows. And that was quite the, 
quite the lineup of writers. Um, it, yeah, yeah, An yeah, incredible lineup of writers. And I mean, and... you had Mel Brooks and Neil Simon and Carl Reiner on that show. I th- and Woody I th- Allen as well. No, he wasn't on that show. Oh, he wasn't. On, I, I think he was, he was on. He was on the 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 subsequent show. Oh, okay, okay. He he was on the show that ran. I think he was on the show that ran for a few years after this one. They they pretty much rebranded it and did another Sid Caesar show, same type of show. Right. But I think on the, on your show shows, I think you had Mel Brooks, Carl Reiner, Neil Simon, and a couple of other names that would have been big in the industry, but that I'm 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 not familiar with. But certainly Neil Simon. Um, cause you have the cast, you have the stones, the Benji stone played by Mark Lynn Baker. He's the rookie writer. He's what's he say? It's, it's two years since he was asked to leave Brooklyn community college. And he was already making more money than the entire, uh, fourth floor of his mother's apartment building. Yes. <laughs> but he's working with a group of veteran writers and you have Bill Macy as, as Cy. Yes. Um, you have an actor. I always forget his name as, as Herb. Yeah, I don't. I, a great face, though. Great character. Actor. You'd re, everyone would recognize him. And Herb is supposedly, for what it's worth, supposed to be Neil Simon. Um, and then you have Alice. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yes. Because Neil Simon used to. I, I read about this, actually. Evidently, one of one of Herb's attributes is, is his perhaps defining attribute in the movie is that he never says anything out loud. He only whispers to Alice everything that he wants to say. And evidently Neil Simon did that not, and he did it because the room was always so raucous. He didn't want to raise his voice. And so it was the best way he could communicate his ideas. (laughs) Well, also ironically, it's a really interesting way to get attention because when everyone is being raucous and you're whispering, sometimes all eyes are on you. If you want to know what you just said. Right. Um, I forget Alice. People would know the actress. I, I'm forgetting her name. She, she's good in it. Um, and, and they're the writing team, and they're they're very contentious as they're trying to put out this this weekly show. Uh, Sid, uh, I was reading up on Sid Caesar. That show was apparently really groundbreaking. The humor was new, even though. Even though the style of humor would be like the style of humor in the comedy cavalcade is really foreign to me. Um, yeah. It's we just didn't grow up with that type of humor. It's yeah, it's very, very f- physical in a lot of ways. It's it's very simplistic compared to, you know, you're talking, you know, Seinfeld came along when we were around. So you got Silicon Valley. You had um Gary Shandling show you had all these kind of innovative shows that changed the way people thought about comedy but this is this is really you know this is new at the time and Sid Caesar's show apparently even Broadway he was so popular in those four or five years that the show ran that Broadway took a hit because everyone wanted to be home Saturday nights to watch this Broadway actually suffered because of Sid Caesar and I can't remember the somebody who became famous, and I can't remember who told the story about getting two tickets to a Broadway show and this passing them along to someone else because it was a Saturday night. Right, they could could not miss, couldn't miss it either. So it's you know it's interesting. You're making that point. I, I just want to raise two kind of 
two kind of thoughts on that. I mean, I think, I think it was a period of innovation. It's not something we generally think of in the 1950s so much, but, but it was a period of innovation. Remember this, this is the time that people like Rickles, um, Newhart, um, were beginning to really make a name for themselves. And if you take a look at comedy, right, pre-1950s, you don't have anybody like that at all, right? You have vaudeville, right? You have the Marx Brothers kind of stuff. You got the Abbott and Costello, Abbott Marx and Costello, Brothers. right, all that stuff. And, and you don't have the kinds of things that you have with Bob, you know, people like, I always point to Bob Newhart, who was, I, I think is probably the most underrated comedian there is, who, who would look, who would just take a, who just saw the world differently. Right. Kind of a thing. I mean, it just it just found common found humor in the commonplace. But it's not about Bob Newhart. My point is, it was a period of innovation, I think, in, in comedy. I think television in particular was this medium that was beginning to take over. Right. And supplant Broadway, even supplant movies. I remember um, with um, um, I Love Lucy you know, when they'd have stars come on the show. Right. Generally, you know, it was John Wayne, you know, Bill Holder, whoever it was. Generally speaking, Lucy was more famous than the people who came on the show. I mean, yeah. it was, it was, it was good was... for them. It wasn't necessarily good for Lucy's show. It was good right. for them to be seen on, on her show. I mean, that's, there were those things that had that kind of, it, it was a, it's a, it's a change in the way that entertainment was, you know, being deployed. And people like Sid Caesar, I think, were ground were groundbreaking because they were tapping a nerve, right, C- creating that interest. And because it was so ubiquitous, right, a television in every house, you could have this massive impact on the culture. Yeah, I think Lenny Bruce had already started as well, but he was really underground for... Yeah, I think so. That was really an underground type of type of comedy, and he was groundbreaking in his, his own, in his way, own yeah. way, Yeah, but I don't think he achieved much notoriety until later. Mm-hmm. That's, and that's, that's my... Like I said, I'm no... Yep. No, um, no historian on this stuff. The, so the setup here is that an Earl Flynn-like past his prime movie star named Alan Swan's going to be the guest on the show. Um, Alan Swan is uh, a drunkard yes. and a womanizer, yes. a bit reckless, a bit unpredictable, a bit erratic, and he almost doesn't make it uh, as the guest, but young Benji Stone has been assigned to basically babysit him for the week to make sure he shows up to practice. Right. And a rehearsal, I should say, and um, shows up for the show. And, and that's kind of the setup. One, one of the neat things about this movie is um, I think if you sat down with a, with a pen and paper and took note of when the important things occur, you would have a really good outline, like a really good formula for a movie because yeah the last time i watched it i counted i think you're six minutes in and all the major characters 
have been introduced. Yep. You you get their personalities. Yep. And you know, immediately afterwards, you get that life changing moment where yep. where Benji sticks up for a apparently <laughs> passed out Alan Swan begging King Kaiser to give him another chance and let him stay on the show. And Kaiser says, you know, great, okay, but you're gonna babysit him. He's gonna be at every rehearsal. He's gonna show up sober. And if he doesn't, it's your ass. And 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 then then you go to the the fun and games portion where it's High it's drinks, yes. the the adventures of Alan and Benji. Right. Two, three, four, five adventures. Then you hit the the low point and then the high point. But if, I bet if you had you sat there with a clock, it's hitting all those formulaic points with with precision. Pretty much. And I, I, yeah, pretty much. I mean, I think it's, it's a, you're absolutely right. I, I think, and I think probably you could, as you were saying earlier, that there were a whole bunch of movies, late seventies, early eighties that fall into the category of just kind of lighthearted, not too serious, you know, like this one plot holes here and there, um, you know, no real character development um, that are just kind of fun and entertaining um, and, um, do their, jo- you know, what I would say is like, do their job, you know, right. this, this movie does exactly what it is supposed to do. It is entertaining. It is engaging. Um, and, um, it follows a, it may be to a certain degree formulaic, but it works. Well, formulas work. That's why they exist. Yeah, and right, as exactly. much as people, yeah. as much as people like to, you know, Right, you know, thing though. It's got to be creative and innovative and new and all that stuff. Yeah, formulas work. It's true. Yeah. And in this case, oh, and we all, you know, I don't want to forget, we have, well, for Benji, there's actually two protagonists, right? You got Alan Swan, who, who is essentially his protagonist in a, in a, in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. standing possibly between him and success. And then you have Cameron Mitchell's boss, Rojack, who's really a loosely veiled. Jimmy Hoffa type yes. union leader. Yes. Who has been portrayed on the show, caricatured on the show as a mob connected union leader. And they, they, they exaggerate his look. Yep. He wears a certain type of hat. So King Kaiser wears a, you know, just a more exaggerated version, version yeah. of it. Yes. Pinstripe suit. And the pinstripe big, suit with, with the big shoulders. Huge and, shoulders, yes. And the cigars. And of course, he ultimately, he's been portrayed twice on the show in September. Two, two, two Saturdays in September and doesn't like it and comes with his lawyer. So he's set up as a bit of a antagonist. But, the, but I think the real antagonist is, is probably Alan Swan. Um, well, only it's be- only because only because if Alan Swan isn't dependable, Benji's ass is on the line. Right. Not Which, it's it's not a malicious kind of, con- you know, a, a malicious good versus evil protagonist antagonist. It's just he possibly is standing in the way of Benji's success. So one of the interesting things about the, the this movie it, is that second plot subplot call it so um because they're they're both kind of set up immediately right you have two things going on yeah you have alan swan is he going to be able to do the his three musketeers skit on the king kaiser show 
And then you have the, the second plot, which again, it gets introduced almost immediately, right? In your first six minutes, you, you, yeah. you get all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, I'm telling you. It's, 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 yeah, no, it's like, perfect. Spot and, on. And what, what I liked about the, the second plot is that, you know, it, it, it is that they give um, King Kaiser a real, he's a, he's, he's a, an interesting character in and of himself and a, and heroic right in and of himself because he's under this pressure right because rojack shows up and kind of essentially threatens him um and his his you know his producer um herb is telling him you know you got to pull the sketch you got to pull the sketch um you know they have union problems right the set not showing up because they think rojack's pulling the strings but kaiser's a tough guy and he says no i'm gonna do it it's funny and i'm gonna do it well um and that's the that subplot is um, ultimately intertwines with our primary plot uh, around Alan Swan and is the um, you know is the um, is the climax of, of the film is ha- those two plots kind of coming together. Yeah, and I'll I'll talk about King Kaiser later because I I concur. I think I think the character and the actor are. Peter, this is Peter O'Toole's baby. Yeah. Peter O'Toole dominates this, this movie. It's his movie. He was actually nominated for Best Actor. He did not win. But um, Joseph Bologna and the character of King Kaiser are really kind of the underrated stars of this show. I, I, well, I, I mean, I, we should talk. There are a couple of performances in this movie that I think are definitely deserving of mention. Why don't we go through the plot just a little bit sure sure yeah, um, absolutely and, and then we can circle back so people yep. who who've either watched this or, or want to watch it there's spoilers but maybe they'll maybe they'll <clears throat> they'll listen anyways so yeah alan swan's gonna be on the show it right off the bat benji's excited it's like his childhood hero you get the impression that alan swan's loosely based on errol flynn errol flynn was on your show of shows and apparently Everything went fine. Alan Earl Flynn was a gentleman. He wasn't right. showing up drunk. He, he he wasn't getting lost or anything like that. But the I think if I'm I could be wrong about this, but it's my understanding that this was Mel Brooks did not write this, but the concept was his idea. I think he was the executive producer, right? And I got to say, some of the lines sounded like they came directly from Mel Brooks. I mean, well, I. I you know, I mean, just, I mean, there's a line for, example, <laughs> we'll get to this, but Benji's mother kind of talks about his, you know, Benji's deceased father. And, yeah. And says, um, you know, when, when you're, when you're, you know, when your beloved father um, passed away and eventually died. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. that's a Mel Brooks line. I mean, <laughs> that is straight out of his pen. Yeah. I was watching, I was like, did I miss that in the credits? Did was... <laughs> and frankly, this is the, this is the Mel Brooks influence. This and Young Frankenstein is the Mel Brooks stuff I appreciate more than kind of the over-the-top nonsense movies. Like Blazing Saddles? Like Blazing Saddles and a couple others. Those are fun. I'm not... Th- those are fun. But when he goes, does the more subtle, uh, subtle, more restrained type of humor... Mm-hmm. I think it's he can he can be his influence can be even funnier than 
like the blazing saddles. Yeah. Uh, what's the other one? Uh, space balls, all, all, all yes. that type of stuff. I, I agree with you. I will just, I just have to say this because I have to say it because I think it's, it's true. And we're talking about Mel Brooks, who I think is, uh, is a, uh, a, an American treasure. Um, I think that that is generally true. However, I would say that I think high anxiety is one of the greatest things ever produced for mankind. Oh my God. I haven't seen that. That's so funny. I almost forgot that. I haven't seen that in ages. Yeah. Um, Brilliant. But anyway, so back to the plot. We're, yeah, we're, so, we're digressing amazingly. Yeah, no, that's all right. <laughs> Swan, Swan gets rerouted as freight and um, they don't know what they're going to do. If he's going to show up, he's missing. And of course, this is all within the six minutes. Yeah. He's in bed with a stewardess. He's waking up right. from a from a crazy night of alcohol and with a stewardess. So now we get okay. Alan Swan's a drunk. Right. He's undependable. Yeah. He's funny. He's charming. Yes. He's he's witty and he's a womanizer. Yes. Um, and, and he's we, got a driver. Sure. That I mean I don't know if you were getting here getting to this point, but he does show up. And again, all within the first six minutes, we we are introduced to his driver as well, who plays a small but but critical role in all this, um, who has driven him when he's in New York for the past 16 years um, and is at a certain level his enabler, but is um, um, the one person who is able to communicate to us because he's known for 16 years some of what's underlying what you see with swan so we get a little bit of backstory from the driver and they've um they're worried about him showing up they don't know where he is they're watching clips of his films that's right and (laughs) and i don't know swan i'm guessing even though some of the films are in color swan's uh heyday was probably like errol flynn's heyday I'm, i'm thinking like 35 to 45 right because I, I think O'Toole was about fifty years old, and I think Swan's supposed to be about. He strikes me as being about fifty, and for a leading man back then, that might be five to ten years past your prime. Right. And he is, you, you, you get the impression he's pretty much a, he's a legend, but a has been. Right. He's he's not doing a ton of work lately. But Swan shows up. He's 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 smashed. He passes out and they make the decision to they're just going to get somebody else. They're going to can him and get somebody else to do the show. Marklin Baker, Benji Stone stands up for him and tells King Kaiser, "Um, you're a big star. You're always going to be a big star. (laughs) But suppose and this will never happen. um, I hope nobody does to you what you're doing to him. And, and, And King Kaiser's like, dump him. Then one of my favorite little parts is he comes back in. He grabs him and says, who are you to talk to me like that? You know, blah, 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 blah. And then he grabs him by the balls and says, hey, Seaside, now this kid's got balls. Right. <laughs> and you're going to, you're going to baby, you're basically going to be his babysitter. And then we follow him. They go to the hotel, which is the Waldorf. Mm-hmm. 250 per night, Dale. You know what that is in today's money? Um, no. Something like twelve hundred per night. Yikes! Um, do you like that scene where uh, 
It's um, what's the driver's first name? It's Alfie or Alvi? Al- Al- Alfie Bombacelli. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he knows where to look for. for Swan has a <laughs> Peter still has a suitcase that's just like four or five bottles of, of scotch. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> in like a velvet, a velvet lined case and all. Yes. And Bobicelli's going through everything to get all the, um, all the liquor. Yes. Give him a bath. Pretty much get him all tidied up. Right. Um, and we and that's where we get a little bit of a. Uh, some hints from Alvi is in the scene in the hotel room where um, Alvi hints to Benji that he's not just washed washed up. He's, he's, he's got financial problems. Yeah. Doesn't he say something like um, he's tapped? What's 250 night to Alan Swan. And Alfie says, when you, when you don't have anything, it's, it's nothing. Right. Right. It's a great line. I love that. So we line. find out. Yeah. We find out he's, he's pretty much broke. Um, Alfie's been driving him from since like 1939. I think he says right before the war. Um, we found out he fought a duel over Avita Peron, right. <laughs> <laughs> and we also find out that he wants to dine at the store club tonight. And the last time he was at the store club, um, it things didn't go well. Right now, let's pause for a moment because I think we we skipped over um an important uh, character that we were introduced to, which is um, Benji Stone's um, would-be paramour. Yeah, uh, I wanted to get to that. Yeah, so we, we, we were introduced to her early on, and, and, we're in, and, and what we were <laughs> introduced to, there's some very good scenes, I think, their um, alleged romance, um, is that Benji is madly in love and she wants nothing to do with him, and that he's annoying her. Because he's pestering her constantly. Well, it's Casey, right? Casey yep. played by Jessica Harper. Right. And uh, he's not just annoying her. I think uh, if you had, if you took a shot for every HR violation committed yes. by Benji Stone, <laughs> I think he'd be drunk in about five minutes. He's what what apparently was kind of cute and charming in 1982 is what we today call stalking. Yes. And harassment. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny to watch these movies and looking at today and you're like, did we did we find this cute at the time? And did 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 women find it cute at the time or were they they always in the know rolling their eyes at this type of thing i have no clue so it's interesting there's a you're right there's also and i don't know if you remember at one point as well um um swan gives him some advice to let her get a head start and then chase her because it gives her an illusion of being pursued yeah I mean, it's it's this kind of you kind of it is these days you look at it, you kind of it is it is a little bit cringeworthy. But there's also an element of this and I don't want to get too, you know, kind of cinema film criticy here. But there is an element here that's that is kind of interesting, which is um, the notion of um, performance. Right. Because, you know, what we kind of and we'll get to this also, Flynn's kind of playing an, a character. He's playing Flynn, the um, Flynn, Swan is playing 
Alan Swan, the character, right? He, yes. He's kind of living up to expectations. Benji's changed his name, right? In order to kind of essentially fit into expectations, right? There's this notion of kind of um, performance associated with, with each of each of the characters. And it's when Benji backs off, right? And kind of presents the quote, real him, um, is when, you know, uh, his real self is when the two of them get together because she sees, you know, his real character and, and, and falls for him, as opposed to this kind of persona, evidently, that he's, he's, he's pushing out there with all of his, his um, overt and over-the-top um, stalking maneuvers. Well, he chases her in the beginning. Into the bathroom. He, he yeah. chases her into the wardrobe room and then chases <laughs> the wardrobe, her into right. the bathroom. Yeah. In the in the wardrobe wardrobe room is the wardrobe mistress Selma Diamond, who was actually a writer for Sid Caesar. Yes. And people might know her better as like I think she was what one of the bailiffs on Night Court. She's got that really raspy voice. Yes. Yes. She's great. I thought she had did she have a well, no. Okay, go ahead. Go on. I think she's great. She's got minimal yep. a minimal role, but yep, she's 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 terrific. But he's he's just chasing her around, embarrassing her, right, making her feel uncomfortable. Yes, and yes. I guess no for Benji doesn't mean no. I think that if you did it today, it'd be yeah. I, I think they would change that <laughs> just a little bit. I think they would too. He he <laughs> would he would not be she would not be so. Um, not diminutive, but she wouldn't be fleeing so much. I think she would be saying she wouldn't she would be putting be, up with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Right. But let, she, she comes across as a very. It's funny. She comes across the, the even though there's no major female parts. I think they're they're all almost all of them are treated pretty well. They the the Alice the writer, Casey Selma Diamond, they all come across as very competent at their jobs so there's no uh, they the romance though is almost unimportant yeah and and i would say the same for benji's mother who's a great character (laughs) lanny kazan uh, she is fantastic and i feel so much better that one of the writers was jewish because if if they weren't you could say like that and maybe it still is but it's such a stereotype of a Jewish mom from the fifties in Brooklyn. Yes. But I, uh, but I, I kind of, I don't know. I, it, 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 it didn't, it, it didn't resonate with me so much on that front. And maybe it was because of her husband, um, <laughs> who was <laughs> Ricky, Ricky Carroca, yeah. the bantamweight from the, what, the Philippines. Or Filipino something? bantamweight <laughs> who held the title for six months until Serpa butted him. That's and right. We'll get to that when we, when we go through the fun and games. Yeah, yeah, that's, um, yeah. That's, a unique, that's a unique feature of this. Like whoever came up with that. <laughs> it's great. It it's great. But so but back to the back to the plot. Let's get back. Yeah, to they go to the store club that first night. They go to the store club that first night, and he escapes. Uh, he eyes a, he eyes the most beautiful woman in the room. The the mater d tells him to calm down. Let's not have a repeat of what happened last time. But ultimately, we know what's going to happen, right? Yes. He leaves with he, he basically steals someone's date. 
uh, while Benji creates a diversion. Right. And right. in the and in the morning, in the newspapers, it's uh, Swan and the woman uh, were found naked in a fountain. Right. So he's already made the newspapers in something of a scandalous, a scandalous manner. The there's a there's a, a portion though where a, a gentleman comes over to the table and says, "My wife and I are are um, celebrating our what? I it was a thirtieth, fortieth, fortieth, fiftieth, yeah, anniversary. I hate to impose, but on your way out, could you stop and say hello?" And and Island Swan ever the the gallant gentleman is says, "Why wait? That that woman is Gloria Stewart." And Gloria Stewart played Old Rose in Titanic. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't notice that. And more importantly, Old Rose was one of the universal, one of the better known universal players from the 30s. She was in the old dark house. She was in the 1933, I think, Invisible Man. Um, She showed up a lot in those 30s movies and she was a bit of a sex symbol back then. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 the older Rose from Titanic. Hmm. I think it was also her first appearance in a film for like ten years or something like that. So hmm. that's just a, a a little point of interest. Then they start rehearsals, and um, I mean, if and it goes a, well, it goes well, it goes well. And if there's anything you want to mention, hop, hop in there. But then they're going to go off to to Brooklyn. Well, the so I will. I'll just I'll just jump in. So it it, the the, you go from there to the um, uh, it goes well um, the rehearsals and um, King Kaiser has a nice little speech about how happy he is and that he's he is a big fan actually of Alan Swans, Um, and um, we get uh, some more of the subplot in when a, a. uh, one of the lights falls onto the stage where um, Kaiser was standing. So we know, you know, it's kind of serious that, uh, you know, bad things are afoot. And also in the sequences, I think where, where um, Benji and Casey um, become a couple where he, he takes her to dinner in a movie, which is actually, I think one of, one of my favorite scenes in, in the movie is, is her trying to tell a joke where he's trying to teach her how to tell a joke. Um, yeah, and she's awful, and she's just awful. Um, done very. The two of them did did a very good job in that scene. But he he you know he has he they order out massive amounts of Chinese food. I've never said, seen as much Chinese food in my life. No, it's amazing. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, they, and he just eats like a pig. He does. He does. <laughs> it's, it's a it's a really sweet scene. I mean, I think it's done done really well. But 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 that's where right the the real Benji shines through um uh, allegedly and and that's who she falls for so we so all of that kind of gets resolved pr- pretty quickly right i mean he goes to all the rehearsals right the show's looking good his little romance with um kc seems to be you know seems to be good the show's ready to go the only and- cloud on the horizon is something you know strange going on the light falls you're right it almost right. almost gets uh kaiser right in the head right um, and, um, but I'm sure you want to talk about the Brooklyn scene. Yes. But then, um, so rehearsal ends and Swan and Stone head off to Brooklyn because, <laughs> um, 
his mother has uh, has invited them invited them to dinner, and they and and so they go to Brooklyn. They go to Brooklyn for dinner, um, and it is. I I think I think it's a it's a it's a really it's a really good scene. I mean, Lenny Kazan is just fantastic. She is. I I think it's one of one of my favorite performances in the. Um, um, in in the movie, actually, her and whoever the guy is who plays rookie Carroca, just <laughs> fantastic. So so they go to Brooklyn and he was you know, a, he was an MD. He was, was a he doctor really? who acted on the side. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's fantastic. I love. Yeah, that. Benji. Just not to interrupt, but Benji's dad apparently passed away and then died. Right. And, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 Bell Steinberg married a Filipino former Filipino bantamweight named Ricky Carroca, <laughs> right? right. Uh, Which is just I don't uh, like how you know I don't know maybe cocaine how uh, they came up with that idea was I, classic. <laughs> but but one more thing before you go on when she when he's on the phone with his mom and she's reminding him about dinner and yeah. he's like. I can't. Uh, I'm babysitting Alan Swan, and she says, "Bring him." When it shows Lainey Kazan, <laughs> she's got her, her husband. It's like doing all the chores. Yes, and he's like vacuuming. <laughs> yeah, and then when she mentions uh, Manny Serpa, who apparently headbutted rookie mm-hmm. taking the bantamweight <laughs> championship belt, <laughs> he gets all. Frustrated to start yelling, I'll fight Serpa today. I see you upset your father. Please don't call. Benji's like, don't call my father. And he does the cooking. He does the cleaning. It's classic. Oh, it's fantastic. But yeah, so so there's the there's the setup of going to Brooklyn of you know Benji being um, embarrassed and oh my goodness, you know my crazy family kind of stuff. And dinner kind of goes as you expected. They're met at the door by. Benji's uncle, who just <laughs> one of the great lines, of course, in the film. Um, oh, you know, uncle, you know, what a surprise to see you here. And he says, oh, I took the 745 down from the sixth floor. Yeah. Um, and he says, well, you know, uncle so-and-so, I can't remember his name, you know, meet um, Uncle meet Morty. Him. Uncle Morty. Eat, eat me. <laughs> and, swan. and of course, Morty's, Morty's response is to shake his hand and say, sorry, uh, I didn't quite hear your name. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they so uh, they come in, of course, Benji's mother is dressed in her finest. Um, um, and uh, um, Benji's aunt makes a great entrance. <laughs> she comes, when she arrives, she's wearing her wedding dress. <laughs> Because yeah. it's her best dress, and she Today, only wore it once. She only wore it once, right? It doesn't, it doesn't when Benji shows up. Doesn't doesn't Lanny Kazan say, "Benjamin, dear, so good to have you to home." Yes, <laughs> <laughs> all putting on airs. And Swan is um the gentleman, quite gracious, Perfect. down yeah, to earth, yeah, a, cla- a class act. Great, great stuff. Great he's scenes. Off, he's not drinking. He's not. He's not drinking. They're they're doing. They're doing really well and there are some there are some great lines great scenes um in there very, you know a lot of good stuff yeah. very very funny stuff and and everybody pulls it off really well um but uh the the kind of the 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 narrative that drives the plot along is that um they mort kind of um 
embarrassingly for Benji, particularly brings up a paternity suit. Yeah. And he, he asks whether, whether Swan actually had sex with the girl. Um, but uh, but <coughs> it results in a conversation about family and, and Benji's mother talking about the importance of having family, of having something real to really hang on to. And Swan gets uh, somewhat emotional and talks a little bit about his, his daughter, Tess, who he um, feels very strongly about, who is uh, 12 or something like that, 13 yeah. maybe, young girl who he hasn't seen in a year. And, um, uh, but she lives nearby, right? She but lives she in lives Connecticut? in Connecticut, yes. Yeah. And um, I think she, Benjamin's mother's, Benji's mother says something, oh, well, you should, you know, you should feel ashamed for not seeing her for so long. Doesn't she, does she call him Swanee? Well, she calls him Al and she calls him <laughs> Swanee. And... If I bring, if, if I bring Jolson home, it's Al. <laughs> right. It's a, you're bringing Al Jolson. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so she, um, so she kind of, I think, gets him thinking. But one of the things that happens is that um, um, I, I can't remember exactly why Swan gets it in his head, but he's he decides that what they have to do is number one, start drinking, and then number two, um, that Benji has to um, um, make a big play for Casey, even though the relationship has, has started already. Um, he thinks he, he, that Benji really needs to do to, to make a grand um, gesture. As yeah, it Nick, were. Casey's family is also very, apparently wealthy. So they live in a very nice apartment building. Right. Having a, and they're having a dinner party or something <laughs> like this. So they get right. drunk, go to the roof. And Swan's big plan is that they're going to rappel down yeah. from the roof onto the balcony where the party is and it's 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 a great scene i mean it it's it could it's i mean and if you're a fan of these things right you you would you would see it immediately but it could be a charlie chaplin movie scene it could be a marx brothers movie scene it could be an abbott and costello movie scene with the two of them on the on the roof benji trying to Oh, get the door open, which is locked, and and Swan completely drunk, trying to figure out how to rappel down at the same time, and with a and, fire hose, right? And then he's right, he's going to do it with a fire hose. Yeah. I, I think it's great, and there's there's a brilliant bit of um, kind of slapstick acting on on Peter O'Toole's part, where he's he's got the fire hose tied around him, he's up on the edge of the wall. Um, where he has, where he's about to jump down and repel, but there's the bottle of scotch that's sitting on the on on the wall, and he's he's kind of balancing, leaning back, and trying to pick up the bottle at the same time, and it's just it's so many. It it's done extraordinarily well, and and I I I think it's a great bit of physical acting on that on their really, part. They overshoot. They overshoot the landing, so they well, go. He, he ends up falling. <laughs> right, he that's falls right. down and he misses the balcony. <laughs> And I love that the the guy at the Casey's family's party, or they look down and somebody says, "I think Alan Swan's beneath us." And the other guy says, "He's an actor, of course, of course he's beneath he is." Us. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they know that. No That's there. a crazy escapade. They end up in Central Park, where yes. they steal a policeman's horse. Well, that's that's. That's right. Yes, that's right. Which I, I never, that was the only piece of this that I didn't quite, I, I didn't 
I didn't quite follow. I mean, it, it, they're in the park and they're, they're actually opening up to each other. And this is where Alan Swan really, and, and there are hints of this throughout where he's been saying, you know, for example, at one point, you know, why did you marry all of those women? I think when they're at the stork club and his comment was, um, I didn't marry them. They married me. He also um, says that, that line about um, uh, when, when he's giving Benji, I won't say great advice, but advice on trying to woo KC about cultivating a bit of mystery, right? Allowing her the opportunity to figure him out. Mm-hmm. And um, he asks Swan, is that what you do? And he says, I don't have the luxury. Right. Most, most, you know, people know all about me. I know what most women want. Nine times out of 10, they get it. And I'm, yep. I'm, I'm just, I'm not a mystery. Right. And, but he also says in that scene that I, I never live up to their expectations. I never can. I can it's I can't. impossible for me yeah. to live up to their expectations right. as well. So that's it, right. It, it's, and in the park, they, you know, Benji says, well, you know, Benji's not my real name. You know, I am not, I, you know, I, I am not what I, you know, what I pretend to be. And, <clears throat> that's when Swan basically tells him, well, the same is true for me. And he, he tells his own background and his own real name. And the fact that he's kind of let the studio kind of version of who he is become the reality. And so he is a, he is a caricature of himself. Yeah, yeah. He's a right? persona. Yeah. And, and, um, uh, and so that's the kind of cathartic moment, I guess. Um, I, I guess it's a little, it's a little weird because they 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 nab a policeman's horse and right, ride right. into the into the dawn. Yeah, it's kind of a a, a, a a kind of an odd scene, but it is an odd scene. He, yeah, well, um, the slow motion of them riding together on the horse with the, the with the sun rising is it's a little weird. It is. Yeah, <laughs> don't don't quite get it. Because um, then uh, then then Benji wakes up in Stone's hotel suite. In uh, Swan's Hotel Suite. Oh, yeah. Swan's um, with a raging hangover and Swan's nowhere to be found. Right. But he's written in soap or something on the on the um, on the mirror or something. I've I've gone to Connecticut or I've gone to see Tess. Right. Right. Toodaloo or something like that. And of course, it's the day of the show. It's a live show. Benji gets freaked out. You know, oh, my God. Uh, you know, is he going to show up? <laughs> kind of stuff. But he does show up. But he does show up. He, he goes and sees Tess. He doesn't. He doesn't See, interact with her. He doesn't interact with her. He just, just sees her and has Alvi driving back to the city. He is there. They do their run through. Um, run through doesn't go all that well, but he's there. He's sober. It's all good. Um, <laughs> like he says, he says, uh, it normally it takes me a couple takes, but I think right. I might be able to do it on the first one. Right. <laughs> and he finds out it's live. And it freaks him out. <laughs> <laughs> and there's really one of the classic lines yes. is he's I'm a movie star, not an actor. Yes. <laughs> it's a great, great line. So he gets freaked out about this being yeah. a live show and leaves and starts he leaves. drinking. Yeah. He's, yep. he's, he's, he's out of here. And um, perhaps this is the, 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 certainly the critical moment for the, the Swan character. And also um, at the same simultaneously, Boss Rojack's people are messing things up. Yes, that's right. So Boss Rojack has sent some guys to 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 rough up King Kaiser's show. Um, he, he's he's 
he gets a um what the black flowers or something or the opposite of a good luck (laughs) thing in his off in his in his dressing room and they're good i mean they really are bologna does a great job with with that with that role and because the rest of the i mean the rest of the movies pretty much swan gets back on board well, he gets back on board, but I mean, there, there's a nice, the, the one thing I will say, I mean, he, he, everybody turns on him, including, right, this is the key role for Alvy, right? He, yes. he goes to, he goes to get in his car and he says, Alvy, take me, you know, wherever, whatever, and he's drinking. And um, even Alvy gets disgusted, right, right, with his, with his retreat. And, and Benji has the, has the great line of, I can't remember exactly what the line is, but essentially tells him, it doesn't matter that it's that you're not who you think you are or that the character's not real yeah. is that for me it was and i believed in it and that's that's what we need you know we need you to do that we need, we need alan to, swan yeah we need alan swan so he he um swan has his moment he comes back now but when he comes back what's been going on is <clears throat> is um rojek's um thugs are trying to beat up king kaiser Who's holding his own, actually, pretty, pretty He's holding his own very well, but it's in it's in the first scene of the show, which is a boss Rojack, right? A boss hijack scene, right? Is when the wrong people come in. It's not the people. It's not the actors, right? They, they come in fighting. He's fighting with the thug with um with Ro- Rojack's thugs with the actual thugs, yes, and Benji and and um. And Swan are up above, and not not the balcony. I don't think it's in the. Well, I mean, yeah, it's not a balcony where they're seating, but it's a kind of a balcony above the seating and the it's stage like with the lights and stuff where, like that. Right, right? there's a bunch yeah. of lights, and and so of course, um, Swan has his opportunity to play the swashbuckling hero. He grabs a rope and swings onto the stage, and and helps King Kaiser beat up all of the thugs. The audience, of course, loves it because it's violent and I suppose funny. Um, uh, and then, sorry to interrupt, but mm-hmm. but you know, Valona and um, O'Toole fight <clears throat> fight Rojack's thugs win, and like a lot of what you don't see much anymore, it's over. Yeah, it's there's like two lines, and it's it's they're out. It's yeah. over. There's no fifteen minute wrap up yeah um, yeah it's yeah. it's just you know that's the way i like to remember them et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. i like to think that's how and and also i like to think that's how he likes to remember himself also right right um, it, which is it, nice line. done yeah it's yeah it's i really appreciate that that uh, they had the they, they had the kind of confidence it was his first movie richard richard benjamin Yes, which pe- you people would rec- well, people our generation probably recognize was an actor, but really made his name later on as a director. This was his first major directing job, so yes. he he was also kind of a fresh. He was a freshman director doing a movie about a freshman comedy writer. Um, yeah, and and he he um, yeah he he ends it pretty quick. I think it could have been a little bit longer. Um, but I'm not talking about 10 minutes. I'm like maybe another two minutes, maybe have some sort of wrap up with Benji and KC, maybe have some, you know, seeing Flynn off in, you know, the car with Alvy. 
you know, you get a little bit of that from the, the closing monologue, but it's only like three or four lines. Or I think he says he went up to, you know, Connecticut and saw and actually saw his daughter kind of stuff. Right. So they, they kind of close everything off quickly. Uh, personally, I think it just it was just a little bit quick. Um, I appreciated that um, compared to some of the endings today where oh, there's yeah. three or four endings. Yeah, no, 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 no. But I, I could I think it, I think it was just a little bit quick, but think, it was uh, it was good. I think Benjamin does a if it's his first at least full full a first full feature length film. Yes. And there's only two question marks I have and and it's all a matter of kind of taste. I I don't quite understand the slow motion both of them riding on horseback. It almost looked like a romantic scene. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was just a very strange a strange way to do it the way it was framed. The dawn, the sun is rising in the background, so their hair is all kind of like yeah, you know, ha- haloed and very strange. And the opening music seems out of touch with the film itself. It's a very kind of slow, um, maudlin piece. I, I don't know how you felt about the opening. It, it's not a major. It, it doesn't matter. It just I thought it'd be something maybe a little snappier. I think it fit in with uh, setting up the whole nostalgia yeah, kind of feel to it, um, which of course is a big, which is a big part of the the overall kind of emphasis of the film, not the plot, of course, but that that kind of feel. Although you kind of lose that throughout the the, the film in terms of feel, because it's you know it turns into a kind of a slapstick kind of a thing and and it's done very well the the other thing too is there there are a couple of odd scenes where the camera stays on a character particularly with the with the um with the um uh the television show the 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 writers and everybody where there's conversation going on but the camera stays with a character not talking okay for for a few seconds it's just kind of weird it it, it i don't quite understand what what he was trying to do and and i attributed it to you know first time directing but overall in in my view in terms of a first time out i thought just excellent job truly excellent job for first time out and i think this movie made a lot of money i think this movie i i'm not sure how much money it made i think it did well initially at the box office yeah seems to have faded when you talk about 80s movies um the there I, you know it's interesting there's two types I was thinking about this there's two types of humor in this movie there's the show humor which is that very foreign 50s mm-hmm. physical comedy that that's I don't find particularly funny and because I wasn't you know I wasn't grown up in the 50s and I'm not. I'm just not attuned to that style of humor. Mm-hmm. But then there's the movies humor, and some of the best and some of the funniest parts of this movie are is there. It's not the jokes that kind of end in a punchline. It's just certain lines. And so now we can go back to Joseph Bologna. Mm. Uh, I agree with you. I, I think a lot of people would have made Bologna. He's he's a prima donna. Mm-hmm. He's an egotist. Yep. And I think there some people may have felt like let's make him kind of a wimp. Mm-hmm. And he's not. He's mm-hmm. he comes across. You get the idea that uh, well, Bologna himself was born in New York. I 
think Brooklyn, but that King Kaiser, Stan King Kaiser, was probably a poor kid in the Bronx or Brooklyn, worked himself up through the rough and tumble world of vaudeville to this this point in his life, and he doesn't take shit from anyone. And- no, well, there's a to, to to your point. There's a, there's a so one of his early scenes is when when um, Cy, the the head writer, um, is told that um, uh, Kaiser doesn't like the opening monologue, and Cy makes a big play at um, you know it stays in or a quit, and Kaiser comes out and he says uh, you know basically tells him that the the monologue stinks, <laughs> and Cy backs down almost immediately. <laughs> yeah. But then there's this great, there's a great scene after that where Kaiser kind of walks off to the side and he calls over KC, who's one of their, you know, personal assistants. And he, and he says to her, Hey, you know what? Uh, and he hands her some money. He goes, uh, you know what? Uh, do something for Cy. Uh, you know what? Uh, I feel bad. I feel bad. Yeah. So, you know what? Get him, get him a set of tires. <laughs> You know, call, call my cousin in the Bronx. He'll, he'll do it for yes, you. He calls, her, he calls yeah. her back and he gives her more money. He's like, hey, White Wolf. <laughs> yeah. And and he was giving her money. It was like the equivalent of like $900. Yeah. The $100 and then the little extra. Yeah. For the yeah. One of my one of my favorite scenes. Uh, it, it, actually, one of my favorite lines is after the first run through, Leo Silver, who's the producer, who was um, the actor? I forget it. Uh, Adolph Green, maybe? He wrote Broadway shows. He was initially a writer who did some acting. Um, mm-hmm. The guy who plays the producer, Leo Silver. They find out that Cameron Mitchell, Boss Rojack, and his attorney are in, in, the, in Leo's office waiting to see them. And, and Joseph Bologna stands. King Kaiser is going to go in there. He's still wearing the 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 Rojack outfit, right? And um, he says, "No, no, stand, stay out here." Do you think? Do you think that Boss Rojack's here because he likes the right. scene? And he's like, "I don't know. Let's go find out." <laughs> <laughs> and he just, even with this mob connected union boss, he's still right in his face. And, oh yeah, um, yeah, giving it as good as it gets, and you know. I, I always liked Joseph, Joseph Bologna, but I found out that he and his wife, he's actually, um, I found this interesting. There was a, a Academy Award nominated, did not win movie from 1970 called um, Lovers and Other Strangers, which I've never seen. And Richard Castellano was in it. And Castellano, if you recall, was Clemenza. Mm-hmm. And Clemenza, uh, Castellano, was nominated, I think, for Best Actor for this for this movie. And the movie did well and received really good reviews. That movie in 1970, so Bologna was only, I think Bologna was born in 33, was based on a play that Bologna and his wife wrote. And he stayed really? married. Um, yeah, a writer named, I forget her first name, was Wexler. They stayed married until he died. I mean, they were, he, you know, he was like, one marriage, yeah, and by by the late sixties, early seventies, they had written this play, which they adapted uh, into this movie, and they were Bologna was nominated for it, along with his wife for best screenplay in huh. like nineteen seventy one in a movie that Richard Castellano was in. He didn't win, but you know, fairly young, he already already had an Academy Award nomination under his belt for something other than acting, 
And then he shows up periodically here and there in, in various movies and roles and stuff like that. But yeah. I, I found him an interesting guy. I think King Kaiser's a great character. Yes. I think they make him almost like a, a self-made, a poor kid grown up in the city who becomes this self-made success. Mm-hmm. And, um, and not yeah, all and, that, f- and from what I understand also, I mean, not uh, from hearing just, you know, like interviews with Mel Brooks and, and others about working for Sid Caesar, that Sid Caesar was, was violent, loud, Obnoxious, you know, yeah. Obnoxious, dictatorial, kind of like, and and I think, I mean, you know, obviously the name King Kaiser is it Caesar. Um, you know, the 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 implications are clearly, you know, there. Um, and so I think a character that, at least for the insiders, right, maybe is reminiscent of the way Sid Caesar was. Yeah, probably um, like really with the edges taken off. Right, right, yeah. right. And um, uh, as a as a character just it was it was nice to see because normally right your your secondary characters are ones without real autonomy they're always reactive to always subservient to kind of stuff but he's got his own plot going on he's got he's 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 the protagonist and he's he's, handling it and he's hamming it up and he's i think he does a great job in the the movie oh i agree now because I, I have an almost religious faith in the fact that life can be boiled down to a baseball metaphor or analogy. <laughs> yes, you do. Peter <laughs> O'Toole, eight best actor nominations. You know how many wins uh, for the Academy Award? I think yes. none. Right? None. Yeah. He was nominated eight times beginning with <clears throat> playing um T.E. Lawrence in Lawrence of Arabia he got nominated twice for playing Henry II Henry Plantagenet in Beckett and the Lion in <laughs> Winter. Winter yeah I, I, I'm wondering I didn't look this up I wonder is he's he probably the only, only actor yeah. done that <laughs> well there's the other the, there's the flip side is <clears throat> who who are the two actors who've who've been nominated for best actor who played the same character, if you follow me. Yeah, I do follow you, and um, I don't know. It's Brando and De Niro, both playing oh, Vito, okay. Corleone. Okay, Vito Corleone. Yeah. Right, of course. Right, right. Makes perfect so sense. I view Peter O'Toole as kind of like the Tony Gwynn of actors. Yeah. High average. He's getting all these nominations. No MVP. Yeah. Um, and Which is a shame, because... Um, if he's not going to win and he was nominated for best actor for this mm-hmm. for, for this film um, goodbye Mr. Chips a couple others I wasn't familiar with um, a whole bunch of the stuntman which I've never seen but um, you know if he didn't win it for Lion in Winter um, boy um, yeah. I don't know who was up against it that year, but man, oh, oh, um, I do. Who won that year? Oh, for the line in winter? No, yeah, that that year, who won best actor? It may have been, could have been Paul Newman, and oh, I don't know. No, Paul I, Newman. Paul Newman did. So you, you were talking about, um, you know, him not, you know, nominated, not winning. Paul Newman, I think. 
his only Academy Award is for The Color of Money, I think. Okay. Um, and I but, think, I mean, because I put Paul Newman in that category as, as that, it, it, you know, Paul Newman is, is kind of iconic in a lot of ways, not least of which is that he looks vaguely like I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, um, it, it, one of the things that I've always felt about Paul Newman is that in, in kind of an odd way is that he was underrated as an actor. Um, and I think um, he, he kind of suffered at, at a certain level of his remarkably good looks and um, early success. But I think with <clears throat> Paul Newman, I mean, you take a look at the movies he was, he was in and the job that he did so many occasions kind of like Peter O'Toole where you kind of look at it and say god that guy didn't get an academy award or didn't get it you know only got one kind of a thing well I think it's funny that you mentioned that because I believe in 1982 this um, Peter O'Toole lost but I'm not sure who won but Paul Newman for the verdict was was also a nominee so yes I mean it, O'Toole was up against uh Yes, it, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a tough year for Peter O'Toole in '82, and like I said, if he doesn't win it for Beckett or, um, <coughs> excuse me, if he doesn't win it for Beckett or Lyon in Winter, you know, I'm not surprised. He did get one. He got one of those kind of, oh, geez, you probably should have won one of these along the way, so you get kind of the lifetime achievement. Yeah, yeah, yeah one, yeah. which is which is fine, but. I think he's a I think he's a terrific actor. He does a great job in this as as that um what you would think, you know, the swashbuckling nineteen thirties, nineteen forties. Even the name of the movie Swan is supposed to be in it sound just like you, what you would expect Harold Flynn to be in. Sands of the Sudan, Amarillo, Defender of the Crown, Rapture, right. yep. Captain from Tortuga, Swords right. of Glory. Yep. Um Size Good. Um, Bill Macy, people probably remember him mostly as Maud's husband from that show, Maud. Right, right. That's right. Um, He's yes. great as the cantankerous head writer. Mm -hmm. And do you know the scene? They leave the writer's room, and there's two women that are basically all you see are legs and heels, and the rest of them are in like Lucky Strike boxes as yes. part of the advertisement. Yes. And he tells the first one, hey, yeah. when, when are you going to let me get in your box? <laughs> yes. And she runs, she leaves. And then another one comes along and he lights his match yes. on the side of the box. Because it's a box of matches. Yeah. that The woman in that second box, I, I forget her name. She was the woman who was killed by the movie. I mean, the... Um, the um, Music producer in the in the nineties. What was his name? Phil the famous Spector? Phil Spector. She was the one he, really? he accidentally, negligently, or purposefully murdered. Yes. Wow. Yes. Um, Holy cow. Yeah. So that's there. Alice is great. I wish I remembered her name, but I think people yeah. would recognize her. Mm -hmm. um, I thought the um, in a number of scenes, whether it's Radio City Music Hall movie posters on the street when they walk past things like all the shows you see like seven brides for seven brothers mm -hmm. and a bunch of other ones apparently th those all came out in 1954 so he he oh, made they got, like, her, the, they got her yeah, right. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's good. The, 
effort to do that. Um, Cameron Mitchell's great as as he's only in what one's this he never shows up again, right? He's no, just in that just one the, scene. It's just that one scene. I don't think I don't think he has any official lines. I think he oh no he, he grunts. Like, oh yeah, yeah, but he grunts most of his way through. But yeah, Does he tell him a, a fight is rounds. Yes, and then he puts yeah, on the big hat. Yeah. <laughs> And he puts on the the big hat instead of his own hat. <clears throat> um, so I I mean talking about performances and scenes. I mean I would just go back to um, Lainey Kazan, who just, in my opinion, hits it out of the park. She just does a brilliant job, and it's great writing for her. Jeez. And and I think her and um and her husband Rook, rookie Carroca. <laughs> It's just these are these are just great scenes. I mean, it reminds me of it, it, it reminds me kind of of you know some of those scenes in Radio Days, the Woody Allen movie, or or some of his other movies where you know there's some reminiscence back of the best Mel Brooks writing that you see from time to time, right? Um, in in some of his in some of his films, I mean, it just done extraordinarily well, and it may be. Uh, granted, it may be a bit dated. There may be some cultural aspects that people, you know, um, these days may, you know, may find problematic. Um, but for the time, in in terms of what they were doing, it's it it it's some of the best of of that kind of writing and. Um, in a in in approach to um, you know developing a scene as as I think you're going to see I I think it's just fantastic. <clears throat> well, I mean, in my opinion, any scene that Peter O'Toole's in, he kind of dominates, except that's that scene. Yeah, she's she goes toe to toe with with Peter O'Toole in that scene, and she she more than holds her own. I think oh, that's yeah. the one yeah, scene. Yeah. That's the one scene that that he just simply doesn't dominate. She does, which, I, you know, it's it's par for the course with the character. Mm-hmm. But she does a great job. I mean, she does. She does a, she does a Mar- fantastic job. Yeah. Mark Lynn Baker. That's his first movie. He does a great job as as kind of sort of the, the straight man mm-hmm. w- with all this going on. And I only, you know, I only knew him from that. I didn't even watch that that silly Perfect Stranger show he was in with. Bronson Pinchot and he did that. It was one of those shows that looked uh, kind of stupid, but lasted for a long time. Yeah, honestly, the only thing I really know him from is this movie. Well, actually, he he showed up. He's the widow of the woman who gets killed in season three or four of Goliath. The one who has the the vineyard? No. Yeah. I thought yeah. that was. Am I wrong? I think you're wrong about that. Uh, okay. Well, then scratch that. I thought it was him. I think you're. I think you're wrong. Is it somebody like him? It's somebody like is him. It Griff- I, is it Griffin Dunn? I think it was Griffin Dunn. Yeah. Okay, I get them all confused. Yeah. All no, he was. He, Marklin Baker is in. Um, um, the brilliant um, HBO show Succession. 
Oh, he's been a, he's been yes. in a couple of episodes of of Succession. Okay, no, I, I know I've seen him then recently. Okay, yeah, because I have been watching Succession and Goliath, so maybe yeah. I got them got things yeah. a little mixed up. Okay, but he does a great job. He he does a really good job. Um, Jessica Harper, um, she does a good job as Casey. It's she's it's, great. I like Jessica Harper. You know, one of the reasons I like Jessica Harper because she was um she was some she she was in. <laughs> Suspiria. She was in Suspiria. She was also in the sequel to Rocky Horror Picture Show, which is a movie called Shock Treatment, which not that many people have seen or know about or or have you know have anything to do with. And I and I don't think it is generally considered a, a, you know worth the film it was filmed on. For me, again, maybe nostalgia. But when I was a kid, it was something that I. I watched because when I was a kid, Rocky Horror was was a big thing. I you know would go to some of the shows, you know, the midnight shows when it was doing that in theaters, and um, when I was younger, you know, like yeah, you know, pre when you really should be doing that. Um, she and, was also uh, in she was also in Phantom of the Paradise, which is was she really like a rock version of Phantom of the Opera, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because she's a singer. She she is a she is a musician yes. as well. Yes, yes. Yeah. She's an interesting, um, interesting um, um, actress. She's been in some um, very diverse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very diverse movies. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The um, one thing that disappoints me about this movie, and I have to say it, is that it's 1954. Based on the weather and what oh, they wear no. outside. Oh no! Here it comes. Yeah, <laughs> you, it's. <laughs> You get the feeling it's like the end of September, early October, right? <laughs> and you know who was in the World Series that year? You know who was in the World Series that year? The New I York knew, Giants. I knew they it don't was mention, coming. <laughs> no, one it, mention, is, it is in a newspaper. Not one mention of they couldn't throw in Maze's catch. That was the year Maze made that. <laughs> that, that brilliant. Over, yeah, over that the brilliant top, catch yeah, over, yeah. off of Vic Wirtz. Yeah, in the Polo Grounds, which is in Manhattan. Not once they could have mentioned it. Oh, you know, I think it's. Perfect. I think it's in. I think there's a photo of the catch in a newspaper. Somebody's reading. I'll look for that next time. That would be neat. I think that there is. That would be cool. I think so. I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but I. Th- I think that there is. I would also like to see Captain from Tortuga and Swords of Glory and oh, Defender man. of the Crown. Yeah, I like that. The also subtle, again, no, no real punchline line is when. O'Toole bursts through the door the, for the first time in the writer's room and he's drunk. And on the screen, they're they're viewing some of his films to yes, figure right. out what type of skits to do with them. And it's uh, on the screen is O'Toole dressed up like I don't know it's 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 yeah. a it's a scene for it's Robin Hood. It's a shot for shot remake of a scene in Robin Hood. Yeah, but with Peter O'Toole, and he turns around and he looks up and he says. What's he say? Renfield. Yes. Good, good, good God, it's Renfield. I thought you were dead. And then simultaneously, he's... He, he is. He gets dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so he is. <laughs> there's lines like that that are really good. Bologna's great. It, it's, a, it's a fun movie. It's There's no... You don't leave... You wouldn't have left the theater just talking about this movie for hours other than to say it was a lot of fun. There's no deep underlying message. It's It's... High marks for just pure straight entertainment. Yes, 
Yes, exactly. Which That's exactly right. It can be grossly underrated. Uh, I agree completely. It's a um, the 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 um, this goes back to something we were talking about before. This movie does what an entertaining movie should do. It's not, and I'll say this too, it's probably not a movie that would ever be made today. Not this, not this approach or style. Everything has to be kind of either have an indie vibe to it or be something that, you know, people think are going to make a billion dollars. I think they would delve into, it would be more serious and they would delve into his alcohol problems. Right. Right. Yeah. It would. Yeah. It would turn it would into. A, something it would true. be a bummer. It would be a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'd come and walk away from it, maybe getting some sort of redemption at the end, but <laughs> but you'd still be walking out of it, going, "This is terrible." Um, but I, I I I I don't think that they. I, I it's it's hard to think of. I mean, even you know, past fifteen years, a movie that ap- approaches filmmaking in this way that that buys into that notion of, oh, I've got to do. I've, I've got to stick to this formula. I got to hit my, you know, hit my marks. Um, you know, a movie that's an hour and a half, um, even these days, it's, it's hard to come by. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I, it, it is, and this goes back to something I said early on, our talking about this movie is somewhat of a, of an exercise in nostalgia because it is not something you're ever going to see again in terms of being made or not likely, not certainly not, um, given present conditions it's just the medium has changed no they don't this this movie would not get the green light today maybe an indie with 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 some but the humor would be different the characters wouldn't be portrayed as so broadly yeah um it, it, it would just you know and there's a lot of movies like that from the 80s that simply would not get made made today at least by you know a, a major that, yeah a, major and a lot house. of them are right and a lot of them are forgettable and a lot of them um are forgettable, even though they're entertaining. I think one of the things that uh, sets this one apart, well, there are a few things that set this one apart, and I'll I'll go through my list. Number one is um, O'Toole. He's just fantastic. Although I did write down as I was watching it a note to myself, how much of, how, how, (laughs) how much of this is O'Toole acting (laughs) versus O'Toole being O'Toole? And was he ever really, I was wondering whether he was ever actually drunk on that because he was one of those guys, right? I mean, he was, you know, him and Richard Burton and um, um, Alec Guinness and Richard Harris. I mean, he's, he was, uh, yeah, I don't he know. was that, that, that English brat pack kind of. Yeah. Team. Oliver, Oliver Reed was in there too. Yeah. 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 But so, so one of it is O'Toole's who, whose performance is, is fantastic. I mean, and it was, it's it's again one of these things that um doesn't age well um but your introdu- introduction to him i don't know if you remember this he he cuz he wakes up in the bed with the with the stewardess but he he wakes up not knowing where he is right right and and what he first thing he does is he grabs onto kind of his eyes are closed it's a you know tight shot of his face he grabs onto something and kind of pulls it onto his, his face and kind of opens his eyes and holds it back. And it's a teddy bear and his eyes get really wide. Right. And then the shot pans out a little bit and there's a, someone next to him and, you know, hair over the, the face and he moves the hair away from the face. And it's this young, it's this young woman 
But I was thinking about that scene. I was thinking, what's funny about this? Is he thinking that he's waking up in the bed of an underage girl? Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I, I it was just this. <clears throat> I, it, it kind of for a moment, it kind of it kind of made me a little bit ye. But in any event, O'Toole's performance is is fantastic. So that's one reason that sets it apart. I think also that that Bologna character sets it apart. That's great. I I think that those two right the the film having those two plots right the primary but that secondary one that is very strong, you know. Given its due, they come together in that you know that great ending, which really is great. I mean, it 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 does what it's supposed to do. I think is really good, and that fifties golden age period, and the reminiscence about it, and what it was, and kind of what it stood for, is not something that has really. Um, taken hold, I think, in anything else that I've ever, ever seen. Um, you know, I think, and I think at, at a certain level, it's, it, it holds the same position that like radio days holds, right? Which is uh, reminiscent about, you know, the, the age of the radio and, and um, how that's gone. This is a reminiscence about the age of live, you know, comedic television. That age is gone. It's never coming back. And I really don't know anything else that really um, takes a look at that period in that sort of reminiscent sort of a way. Um, certainly nothing that's as effective as I can think of. And I think that's what sets this movie apart um, and makes it worth, you know, not being relegated to the dustbin as a lot of those, you know, 80s films that, you know, again, some of them, you know, entertaining, but just not particularly interesting really can be. I think this one really should stand out and, and should be, um, should be remembered. Yeah. It's a great movie. I don't, I really don't have anything to, to add that I haven't already said. It's, it's, it's just one of those movies people, I don't think people really appreciate a movie that is just so purely entertaining. Mm-hmm. And this one's damn entertaining. It is. Absolutely. Absolutely is. And lots of neat stuff about it too. Um, and I'm sure there might be other things out there about early television, but nothing, nothing from a, you know, a major motion picture house. There might be a little. That, but I think there's anything. As, I know this is like. Okay. looks like we had a little technical difficulty, but. The good news is that we have everything up to the point where we disconnected. So that was saved. Good. Okay. <laughs> I really didn't feel like doing this again. <laughs> but you were telling us you were telling us about your rewatch of the wire. Yeah, rewatch of the wire. So the the wire it's it's um um the, the, the um as as I think I mentioned, I, I watched it once a long time ago, beginning to end, and I've and I've gone back to it from time to time, maybe, you know, an episode or two, maybe a season to watch, but I, I watched the whole thing, all all four seasons, five seasons, four seasons, I guess. Um, beginning to end. Um and I f- forget 
just how strong a show that is um, and how bleak and in many ways, how bleak it is, how true to the characters it is. Um, and granted giving it artistic license, how unusual it is to have a show that really delves into a um, perspective on a place um, in, in, in all of its ingloriousness um, in focusing in on, on Baltimore. And it could be, you know, you could do, I'm sure, uh, a similar sort of a thing in any number of, of U.S. cities. Um, you know, what I would say is, you know, not the mega cities, you know, like New York and Chicago, Los Angeles, but, you know, those, those, those other tier cities, those major metropolitan areas, um, uh, and kind of take a look at their underbelly and dig into their history a little bit, right. And their problems and, and the issues that they faced and, and face and the characters and the, the dysfunction, um, that goes along with it all. And, um, to make it entertaining at the same time, you know, sometimes laugh out loud, entertaining, sometimes walk away with tears in your eyes, entertaining, anti-heroes, real heroes, real villains, the anti-villains, just a fantastic effort. Um, and remains, in my opinion, one of the best things that I've, uh, I've seen on television. I, fi- I finally got around to watching The Wire. I'm thinking last summer or fall. <clears throat> and pretty much ended up binge watching it. And it it's one of the few shows the billing everyone gave it. Mm. I tried it a couple of years ago and got about two or three episodes into the first season. And nothing to do with the show. I just wasn't in the mood for a police drama. Yeah, at the time, so mm-hmm. I set it aside. You know the the acting and the and the camera work and the the, the location shoot, all, all that was typically fine. Like uh, most, that's HBO, right? Not that's not yeah. Showtime. That's HBO. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, then when I dug into it again about a year or two ago, um, yeah, it's just um, it didn't out, out it didn't out, outstay its welcome because I think there's only what four or five seasons. Four, I think. I, I should know. I just finished it, but um, yeah, and but, what ten, twelve episodes each. It's yep. it, it it didn't it didn't it didn't go so long that you know that it started to repeat and and get tired. No, it's 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 really a fantastic a fantastic show. One of the earlier ones for HBO as well. Yes, I think it came. You know, those early those early efforts. I mean, I I, I go back and I and I watch Oz episodes from time Oz, to time. Oz is a weird watch. It's it's a weird show, but I mean, you see a lot of the actors in Oz, right? Show up in other other you know Edie Falco oh, into the oh, Sopranos, sure. right? Yes. I mean, all the all those sorts of things. I mean, that that group of actors who kind of worked their way through that show. A lot of them showed up elsewhere. Almost like an HBO stable of actors. Yeah. Yeah. The number of them showed up in band of brothers. Yep. Another of them showed up in, I think like boardwalk empire. Yeah. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, um, Mm -hmm. and I think, and I think you can, you can see it with, um, um, you, and, and you can see the, you know, the outcome. I mean, I think 
Oz was this really groundbreaking. I mean, it kind of reminded me of, of kind of like a bunch of actors and, and filmmakers getting together and say, hey, let's do something for us, right? If we, if we could do something for ourselves, what would we do, right? And I kind of view like Oz as being this sort of self-indulgent sort of a thing for a bunch of actors. Very self-indulgent. Yeah, and um, um, good though. I mean, I, I go back and I, I watch episodes of Oz from, from, from time to time because some of them are, are really fantastic. I watched it, I watched, despite it being, I, I found very unrealistic knowing, yeah. knowing the prison system of the way I do. Not, yeah. not because I was in, on the inside, but knowing, <laughs> knowing the New York State penal system and the, 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 the correctional facilities as I do and the way it was set up and who was in there, and it would never have happened. But apart from all that, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was really all about monologues and dialogues and, yeah. and things like that. It could Character have been, and if you could, and, yeah. yeah, if you could have like, if you, could have whittled everything down to a two-hour performance. It could have been a stage play. Could have been, yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, but I think that Oz and then and and people always point to and I, and I understand why The Sopranos is as kind of being this kind of thing. Me, for me, it's really The Wire. Um, it, it it what I you know when you when you kind of watch The Wire all the way through, you get all of the stories that you know the police the dock workers, the school system, the politics, the newspaper, right? And you just kind of hit all of those institutions within a, within a society here in the, in the United States. You just get this um, wonderful picture of the whole thing. And the characters are, are all drawn extraordinarily well and um, done really well. So it's a great, it is well-known show, um, well known to be an excellent show, and and I agree with you. It it does not disappoint. The hype is is I think appropriate, and I I I really do. I put the wire up there as as one of the one of the best things that has been that has been produced on on television. So yeah. So I just finished that. I finished that up last night, and um... I would love to disagree with you, but I can't. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a it's a, really a tour de force. It's. A lot of people, you, you get so many recommendations. You got to watch this. You got to watch that, you know. And a lot of times you don't quite. And The Sopranos falls in that category for me. Um, mm-hmm. I watch The Sopranos. It's good. Don't. It's not that. It, typical HBO show is like all the elements are there. The acting is good. The set, lo- the locations are good. You know, everything is good, but it just might not be your thing. Mm-hmm. And this and a, a good gangster mafia story is my thing. I didn't like the family stuff, mm. and by family I mean his actual family. I like right, the criminal right. family stuff, <laughs> <laughs> but after a while, the whole marriage thing and the kids and the, you know yeah. go into this kind of like eh, you know whatever. I want to see some gangland stuff, please. Thank you very much. But um, no, the wires. The Wire really is excellent. I was watching. Um, I started this a long, and for whatever reason, again I got sidetracked. But I'm actually just watching an uh, old show from 2003, I think, called Rescue Me. Mm, yes, yes. Dennis yeah, Leary, Dennis Leary, Leary right? Yeah, yeah. New York City Fire Department. I'm on towards the end of season three, maybe early season four. I was looking for something. I, I, I was just actually. 
on a rare occasion looking for something that had been a network show, even though I think what was that like a TNT show or a can't remember AMC or a, yeah. yeah FX maybe yeah it wasn't it wasn't NBC CBS or ABC show but but I was looking for kind of like a more formulaic uh, kind of drama didn't really want a police drama so I went with that one I always liked Dennis Leary in a lot of roles mm-hmm. for, for whatever reason um, and I enjoy it it's getting to the point I should be interested to see what happens in the coming like season four because I'm starting to get an inkling of it might suffer from what a lot of dramas suffer from is that by the end of the third season, it tends to maybe get a little bit out of control. Um, mm. I jump the shark a little bit, start yep. reprocessing plot lines. And I'm getting the sense that that will probably happen, you know, getting a little more out there, but <clears throat> you know, I'll find out, but I thought at least seasons one and two and what I've seen of three are quite good. I, I, I think it's hysterical that I don't, I never know the names of these actors, uh, but oh, well, Charles Durning's in it actually as his mm. father, as, as um, Dennis Leary's dad, but anybody who's ever played an Irish cop or politician is in this show. <laughs> There's like three or four of them. They're all older men now. But you're like, oh, I know that guy. I know that guy. I know that guy. He was the Irish cop on Homicide. He was the Irish, you know, city councilman on NYPD Blue. He was the Irish guy on, you know. And it's so funny. They're they're all there. And um, but it's it's another one of these. You know, it's it's almost a black comedy in a lot of ways. Although, well, it is. Yeah, that's how I always understood it. I've not seen it, um, but that's how I I always have understood it to be yeah um but you know leary shines it's he's one of these comedians again who can that can do a dramatic role but um i'm enjoying it so i guess i'd recommend it you don't really see too many oh it's so funny though another show i never watched third watch which i think was another show about firemen i i think that you're right they they make they make fun of that show on Rescue Me. Do they really? Yeah. I, I think it aired simultaneously or maybe like around the same time anyways. And at one point, I think one of them turns the other and says like, hey, kid, this isn't like Rescue Me. If you want that, you're not going to find something like that. So there's some good humor in it. I'm enjoying it. And um, yeah, that's about it. All that's right. All right. Sounds good. Let's wrap it up. And uh, I think next time... Well, this was our first movie, so next time I think we'll maybe be hitting a book or maybe another movie. Not sure yet, right? We'll figure it out, and when we come back, we will have figured it out. All right, man. I will talk to you soon. All right. Sounds good. Thank you.